It's the Geeky Waffle Podcast. I'm with Michael Shaw Fisher, who wrote and performs in the show Exorcistic. Hi, Michael. Hi, how you doing? Good to see you. So I just listened to the soundtrack last night, and I was giggling and horrified all at the same time. Can you explain to the audience what the show is? <clears throat> all right, yeah. Exorcistic is a rock musical parody of The Exorcist, but it's also a parody of parodies because it's about a theater company that puts on a parody of The Exorcist and ends up cursing themselves. So they almost make like this. <laughs> so people, everything starts to go wrong. Like people are being possessed, people are dying, things are going wrong at a show, all the things that would happen in a in the noises off situation or Peter Pan comes gone wrong where yeah. things are just actually breaking down within the company. But then also they have to continue doing this parody, which goes to pretty, some pretty unexpected places. Do you remember the first time you saw the exorcist? Yeah. Yeah. I think I even make reference to it in the show. I have a character Jesse Worland plays and he talks about being 13 year old, 13 years old, popping into the VHS state in the basement with your friends and like everyone's under a blanket and there's this forbidden thing that you know you're not supposed to watch. And that's what it was for me. Yeah. So how do you find humor and horror? <laughs> there are some pretty quotable things in there. Some of them, I don't know if, if it's useful for me to speak. Yeah, I can always keep you out, but yeah, there's. I was. I had some songs in my head last night where I'm like, I cannot sing this out loud while I'm at the bar walking my dog, because I was like, that's catchy, but some of those words. Yeah, but it's an Academy Award-winning screenplay, so it's you know it's clearly and it's clearly accepted into the zeitgeist. But I think one of the things that any person attempting to do a serious version of The Exorcist in musical form comes up against is the campy nature that the way these, these quotes have aged. And for me, a rock musical of The Exorcist lends itself more to the freedom of playing, instead of melodrama necessarily, playing on the, like you said, the, camp, the campy aspects of it and just really blowing them up. First of all, you just have to be, in a way, like devilish with the material. You have a devil in it or a demon in it. So you have so many opportunities for that demon to make commentary on our world and even on the movie itself. So it's like it opens up the whole thing to comedy, really, to have this Machiavellian entity and character in the show. How did you find like the line between calling out tropes and maybe problematic topics, but obviously you, you all like love the movie too. Yeah. Like, like it's... the sacred and the profane. Yeah. 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 I mean, calling them out. Yeah. There, there are certain moments. I think there's one line in the play, which isn't in the music that you would have heard when you listen to it, but there's a piece of dialogue where we, <clears throat> they comment that there's not a single person of color in the entire film. And it's, so yeah, there's certain things that are dated about it and that gives us opportunity to poke fun at the sacred cow a little bit but at the same time it really is i think a movie that is 
on level with like the Godfather in terms of acting, directing. It is seriously, it not just one of the finest horror films ever made, but one of the finest movies ever made. So there's so much, it's because the movie has the complexity of being almost cinema verite, in which case you have a freaking bringing in the same cinematographer who filmed Castro during the revolution, just catching moments between actors and then which he did in the French connection. And then you also have so much very theatrical presentation of evil and these over the top moments where people's heads are spinning around. There's so much there, which can be both commented on and celebrated and dramatic at the same time. It's such a weird experience for people who come to the show because they have like all three of these experiences. They're like, I'm moved, but I'm laughing and I'm slightly scared. We go all, to all the places. Yeah. And that's the reaction people have sometimes when they're scared is they laugh. It's the perfect, it's the perfect mix, really. Was this always a play within a play or did you guys first go, let's just do the Exorcist parody? This thing happened, this thing happened, has a weird story. It happened, I wrote it in 2012, and I was like, oh, okay, I want to see this Reagan character moving into the audience, seducing and insulting them. And even though I know she's 12, <laughs> and like there is no seduction, I think that in terms of theater and, and, the, and the humor of that, like making play on that would be hilarious to have a person so inappropriately sexualizing this child into the audience the way, in a sense, that the demon is trying to do to her in the film, to the Reagan character. So, yeah, it was always a play, but I think the play within the play layer hit me and made it totally irresistible. Like, it was always exciting to me, but that idea of an arrogant theater company tampering with powers that they don't understand was too good, really. Yeah, and I do appreciate, like, I saw some of the scenes of different actresses playing Megan, and just, like, she's obviously a grown woman. And you guys call it out, too. It's like, wait, what are we doing here? <laughs> Which I well, found hilarious. Yeah, because it is because it is so adult and because it is so profane in certain moments and, and just over the top and, and fun, it, it really disarms people who are coming in and maybe worried that there's going to be something that's that they're really afraid of. And you know what I'm saying? It, it disarms you and then it does give you a reason to be afraid after you've been disarmed, like in terms of where the characters go on the story. But it's always just a joyride. And I think the people need a romp every once in a while. Like they need to go in and in the whole spirit of like Dionysus and theater, just get a little crazy and let it be that as opposed to something really buttoned down and self-serious. If I, by the way, if I'm like completely going off, like what your question no, is, does it tell me? I can rant sometimes. The actors do go into the audience. It's an intimate oh, yeah. kind of theater. The box is. No the one's place. safe. Nobody is safe. No one's safe. So does, it, does that mean the show changes a little bit every day? Is there more improv with that? 
It's interesting. There are, it's a script is pretty tightly written because, because there's so much comedy timing going on and there's so much things being sculpted and then just bam, hitting you. It's like, you know, everybody was talking at once. You wouldn't get some of these really finer tuned jokes and moments, but everyone is such a good actor that it feels like we're all playing ourselves and or somewhat pretentious versions of ourselves or whatever. Like we're all cooking fun at ourselves and we're all on the same level. And there are moments within songs and things like that where there can be like a character will come in and just say something completely random to start the song off. And then like, like the one that I think you're referring to, which we cycle out different big stars to play that role. We let them have free reign. My buddy, Brendan Hunt, from Ted Lasso, you might know him from, he's, he played it and he, he just came in and it was completely unique. And every single star who comes in has their own thing and their own approach. And we just highlight that as much as possible. That's awesome. Are there any challenges that you face doing like a play within a play? Because everyone's playing like two characters, right? Or more, yeah. yeah. Um, Character on character, really. Yeah, they're playing with themselves going in, and there has to be a certain setup for that, right? Like, if a character goes in and they're, okay, I'm Michael, playing Michael, and I'm the writer, and I'm a little bit more, I don't know, like, I'm not me. I'm like being John Nakovich version of me, which serves the purpose of the narrative, but has to be very different from when I'm playing the drunk director or the, the sleuth, the detective, right? So there's going to be this base layer, which everybody sees, and they have to believe to some extent. And then you can build on top of that, the more extreme characters that kind of come out and hit really hard. But in the end, it's, the most important character is, I don't want to say who the most important character is, maybe both sides are equally important because you have to enjoy the parody. You have to enjoy the commitment and you're there to see that. You're there to see Exorcist or rock musical parody of the Exorcist. If that's not there, you're not going to be there. But then you also have to give them the place where that layer is gone and now my character is in danger. And if there isn't that tension between two, then the show hasn't served what it's trying to do, I don't think. Yeah, because just listening to the soundtrack, I'm like, this could just be a straight musical. This just like straight musical. It's a full musical right there. But I love that added layer. And it's perfect for October. You all will be going to New York, premiering at the box. And you'll be around for New York Comic Con. Oh my gosh, yes. And also... Um, the movie Exorcist Believer comes out while we're running our show. Oh yeah, I saw a trailer for that recently. So I did some rewrites in my future to include that as well. Yeah, because there's always a different like exorcism inspired kind of movie coming out at least every other year. It feels like, and then, and that's I think one of the cool things that our show is aiming to do. We comment on not just the movie and you know its tropes, but also. It's legacy. 
we comment on it, we talk about it, we talk about real exorcisms that happen. Like the characters are deconstructing all of this stuff while they're doing it. And there's a lot of opportunities to bring the audience in on a very contemporary conversation, as opposed to like, I did the show for the first time 10 years ago. And it was a very different script because we were talking about the things that were certainly amount of people in America who believe in demons exist and that that percentage has changed. It's interesting. Like the, the nation has changed in, in exorcism in that its role of the actual exorcisms in this country has changed. And it exploded during the pandemic. Like exploded. And I, there's so many interesting facts like the most common person to become possessed or to think that they're possessed are actually not young girls it's middle-aged men and it's there's some really interesting information that's come out of all this we have fun with it also yeah i didn't know that i assumed it was always like the preteen girl is probably because of the exorcist because of puberty and growing up and being like oh they're different (laughs) i always thought so too but, I felt possessed at 13 at some point. Oh, guys. Absolutely. Everything we're doing is wrong. Everything is mm-hmm. dirty. Everything about your body that you're discovering Everything's can't different. be acceptable, right? Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. New York Comic Con, you're going to have all the geeks coming out. And um, we love our horror. And oh we also love the comedy, too. We did Midsummer Scream in Long Beach. And it was the greatest experience. Everybody was so loving. And we had like hundreds and hundreds of people showing up to the show, which at that time had been performing in, in this intimate venue in Los Angeles with like screens all over the walls. Like here it was a vast, huge convention with like, I think it was like a thousand people or something. And it was to have just, we just had to flank everybody and bring them all into it. And it was like the greatest experience conference. It's so cool. And everyone's just, it's a love fest. We're all here for the same thing. Yep. I think it helps like that Exorcist is such an iconic movie that like all of us have at least seen scenes of it. Yeah. Or we've seen it parodied and other things because it had been like, I saw it parodied before I actually saw the movie. Because oh, did you see it? What, what did you yeah. see? I see it parodied. I think it was like in the nineties, like I think it was a like a WB show, like popular or something. Oh, I don't yeah. remember. Where they did like they'll do like the vomit scene. Oh, yeah. Like that. That's so it's just good. yeah, it's like Star Wars. It's like you see all the parodies. I did at least before I actually saw the movies in the late nineties. Oh, that's so interesting. The parodies came first. That's yeah. so cool. I was it's so interesting because I have so much love and respect for William Peter Blatty, the writer and producer of the original film. And I just, when I, all right, when I was going to do this show the first time in 2012, he was doing a play of The Exorcist at a theater in Los Angeles. So he contacted me to be like, could you, like a gentleman, like message to say, could you please not do this now? He didn't send his lawyers after me. He didn't do a cease and desist. He did nothing like that. The guy was refined, gentle, intelligent, hilarious, self-effacing, an amazing person. And he just reached out and was like, 
I would appreciate it. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're Bill Blatty. Like, <laughs> of course. And then I then sent the script to him the next year and he, he read it and he gave me his feedback on it. But like, it's so interesting because he was a comedy writer originally. And then he just on a fluke did this exorcist book, which made him stinkingly rich and took Hollywood by storm. There's something about comedy in the history of this particular piece that I don't think people always acknowledge. That Friedkin can, could write just naturally for his characters some of the most hilarious dialogue. But he was also tongue-in-cheek in a way like Kurt Vonnegut could be. And there was a certain sense of the absurd in what he was doing. People always connecting on a deeper level while being completely stupid at the same time in terms of like their references and having shorthand with each other like Karis and uh, uh, Kinderman do in the film. It's classic Bill Blatty dialogue. So yeah, there's some, there's a marriage there long before me ever getting there. Yeah. And they are like, always say like, if you can do comedy, you can do other things. Because comedy is the hardest, really. It really is. At least in my opinion. <laughs> it is. And, and Blatty found it to be that way, too. You know? Mm-hmm. I think in his career, he did. Like, but also comedy is something that I think we default to because it makes us feel safe as writers. We're getting the validation if we're making people laugh. Whereas if you're going for some sort of tragic dramatic thing you're you're hoping it's connecting but like it's not like neil simon in the back of the theater pacing back and forth not watching his show during the odd couple but listening for laughs that that is the affirmation whereas like someone like federico garcia Lorca would like sit in the back like while one of his plays would be going famous spanish poet playwright and he would just be just shaking, shivering, hoping that they're understanding his poetry, hoping that it's moving them. It's a little bit different. Yeah, I don't know. I'm glad that this show is so funny and we can find out pretty quickly when we get go we'll get going that the audience is on board. Yeah. I was and just it, cracking up listening to the music. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's definitely especially like the second to last song. Don't want to give too much away after yes. the the priest sacrifices himself. So that's all. The classic Father Karras. Yeah. Because I love the movie so much. The music is not a parody necessarily of musicals. It is an actual committed rock score. So I wanted to make sure that these moments had these extremely like fun and rocking moments that just could stand on their own as being just a, a good listen. So you don't have to laugh through them all the time, but you can, like when she screams, like her sings, I am the face in the darkness. I am, you are the faithless, the weakest. Like the power coming out of Emma Hunter in, in that, singing that is to me, everything that a musical about the exorcist could embody, that performance, that moment, so it's not, for everybody listening, it's not just har-har moments. We have a couple of those for sure, but there's also some expansive 
rock and horror classic, dramatic, operatic moments. Yeah, this could definitely just be like a musical with that. And just like you could play it straight if you wanted to, but there would still be like the insanity of what your topic is in general. Cool. For people who are in New York in October, how can they go see the show? Yeah, so the box is tickets are up on Eventbrite currently. I'll put the link in the summary. The show is running from the 8th to the 23rd. We're off on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, but every other night we're going to be rocking. Tickets are also starting to really sell. So yeah. I'm sure you probably could get in if you wait the night up, potentially, but who knows? Because it is a limited engagement, it is going to be obviously a little bit more accelerated with all that stuff. Is there anything else you would like our audience to know about the show? I don't want to give too much away. No, right? (laughs) It is, I would say it's a love letter. So if you are a fan of The Exorcist, and you are appalled at the idea of a musical of The Exorcist, you should come see it. If you are excited, you should come see it. If you're mildly curious, if you ever cared about The Exorcist in any way, I would suggest trying to see it because you only, for me, I only write the thing that I want to see. I don't go to a lot of musicals. I happen to write them, but I don't, some people have said to me, even like, I don't like musicals and I loved every second of the show. I think it's, there's something really just all around, all around done bad. So anyway, I'm repeating myself at this point. It's, I, yeah. Come one, come all, we'll get crazy. Thank you, Michael, for talking with me. Thank you, Kim. This has been a blast. Thank you so yeah. much. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>